The Lord be with you. And also with you. Friends, welcome to church this, this evening as we uh, come together to uh, gather around God's Word. And first let me uh, congratulate all of us uh, because we have finally reached the last chapter of the first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis 50. I think it's been three years since we first started on this series in blocks of uh, chapters and we are finally here on page 51 through to page 52 of the ESV Bibles of the Church. And if you are taking notes, uh, you, there is some space in the middle of the church bulletin and a sermon outline that will be useful for you. The theme is taken from Genesis 50 verse 19. Joseph said, Am I in the place of God? And let me pray as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us from it. And we thank you for your spirit, the wisdom of your spirit to guide us. Please guide me now as I speak to remain truthful and faithful to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our friends, uh, I want to begin this evening by remembering the passing of a great son of Malaysia. It was in 1990, in the, on December the 6th, when Tunku Abdul Rahman, the first Prime Minister of, of Malaysia, died in his sleep at the age of at seven. Some of us, like myself, would uh, want to remember and honour him not only as the first Prime Minister of Malaysia, but as the founding father of Malaysia. Indeed, we can read in many history books our recording Tunku Abdul Rahman as the Bapa Malaysia or the father of Malaysia and borrowing some words from the Old Testament language we might even call him the Patriarch of Malaysia. A few days after that Malaysia went into mourning and on the day of the funeral thousands lined the streets as a funeral procession wound its way through the streets of Kuala Lumpur passing in front of the Mandaka Stadium the Datarang Medica, just by the side of us, tailing Tunku on his last journey through the capital city of Malaysia, before he was flown uh, to Kedah to be buried at the Langa Rome Mausoleum in Kedah state capital, Alostar. Offering such public acclamation and outpouring of emotion are our very human way of expressing and honouring a great son of Malaysia who has made his mark in our history. Amazingly, when we read the Bible, we see that 4,000 years ago in Egypt, Egypt did exactly the same thing. The Bible tells us that the most powerful nation of that time conferred this same honour on a very ordinary person, on Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Jacob was just an, uh, uh, a common foreigner who has come to Egypt to escape a famine in his own country. However, he came as the father of Joseph, the second most powerful man in Egypt at that time in history. And Jacob spent 17 years in Egypt and he never bowed his head to the Pharaoh. He even conferred a blessing on him as one would, uh, as a superior, confer a blessing on one beneath him. 
such was the standing, such was the status of uh, Joseph. And because of that, and in recognition that Joseph saved millions of people, not only in Egypt, but in all the countries surrounding Egypt, the Egyptians granted Jacob an honor second perhaps only to the death of the ruling monarch, the Pharaoh himself. And now please turn with me um, to our passage in Genesis 50 on page 51. And I will take us back just one verse to chapter 49, verse 33. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. As we continue to read from verse 33 of the previous um, chapter, we see that the, the story developed this way. Jacob died in Egypt, and Joseph, whom he loved the most among his children, led in the family mourning. And it was also Joseph himself who took the leadership in the preparation of the body. Uh, the preparation, the embalming of the body befitted that of a noble Egyptian, a powerful and influential man. And 40 days was taken uh, to prepare this body. And the Egyptians and the family mourned Jacob for 70 days, just short of the mandatory 72 days of mourning period for the passing of the Pharaoh. Now we need to note that uh, the Israelites or the family of Israel did not have the traditional practice of embalming their dead. This was a very typical Egyptian uh, tradition, only a practice. For in the Egyptian context, the elaborate and lengthy procedure was to make sure that the dead person was made ready to travel into the, uh, into the afterlife, so to speak. In the context of Joseph, when he embalmed his father, it was to ensure that Joseph's remains would be able to undertake the long journey to return to Canaan to be buried in the family mausoleum as his father commanded him. He wanted to be buried at the cave at Machpelah where the other patriarchs and the matriarchs, their official wives, have been buried. And as we continue with the passage, we read in verses 4 and 5 how Joseph requested the approval of Pharaoh to bury his father in the family tomb in Canaan. And because he was still in mourning until the burial, the request was made through a member of Pharaoh's household. He was uh, considered unclean and therefore uh, unable to appear before the Pharaoh himself. And he made his request and he backed up with his own personal reassurance to Pharaoh that he will return after the burial of his father. Now we read further that Pharaoh did not only give permission from the description in the next few verses, we see that he allowed all of Jacob's male retainers and all his sons and the retainers of his sons to accompany the cottage or the funeral procession back to Canaan. In addition to that, Pharaoh permitted, if not actually ordered, the accompaniment of his own household and nobles and soldiers and horses and chariots. Only the females and the children and the possessions were to be left behind. 
We see in verse 9. Let's read this together. We see in verse 9. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And just to note um, one more detail in verses 10 and 11 that help us to locate the direction of the journey. Uh, the journey must have taken a northwesterly direction rather than the northeasterly direction towards uh, the uh, banks of the Mediterranean Sea, which was a shorter way. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us why uh, that was done. But interestingly for us, we will note that this route would be the same one that Moses would take to lead the Israelites back to Canaan more than three centuries later. The loud cries of mourning and the solemn grandeur of the funeral procession even impressed the Canaanites through whose land it passed. They said in verse 11, This is a grievous mourning of the Egyptians. And so the story developed that Jacob's son buried him as he commanded them. They had brought their father back to the only piece of land that they still owned in Canaan at that time. The family burial plot uh, bought by Abraham for 400 shekels of silver. And after all the arrangements had been done, all the necessities had been done, they returned to Egypt. And as we now move forward to the next part of the passage from verses 15 to 21, we consider Joseph as he sees himself as the instrument in the hands of God. Now, immediately when they return back to Egypt, you will note that the death of Jacob has created a lot of distress in the family. And we read this in verse 15. When, Joseph, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they, say, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Notice what they did. In spite of living together with Joseph for the last 17 years, they distrusted him. And they, they said, oh, Joseph is going to take his revenge on us. We continue to read in 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. In modern psychology, Sigmund Freud would name this as a marginal case of defense. It's a defensive move by somebody who is guilty to send a, an innocent messenger, hoping that the messenger will be shot in their place and therefore getting off scot-free. After all, the brothers have a great reason to be afraid. This was a supremo of Egypt they are talking about. And to the brothers, he must be, have been like God, who had the power over their lives or their deaths. And not only that, not only that, of their families as well, over the lives and deaths of their family. And Joseph had waited more than 40 years so that he could take his revenge on them. This was flashing through their thoughts. And he has suffered being a slave, being always a slave, imprisoned, being tempted by Popita's wife, worked his guts out in the prison and for Pharaoh, without knowing at what moment uh, he might be killed, all because his brothers were jealous of him and had wanted him to be dead. So what was Joseph's reaction? He wept. And we read this, and we read this at the end of verse 17 to verse 18. Joseph wept 
when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph, you see, friends, was able to see beyond the physical aspects of his uh, brother's treachery, beyond his own suffering, and beyond the suffering of his father, who longed for him and mourned for him when he thought he was dead. Joseph was able to see the divine, controlling hand of God guiding the destiny of his chosen people, Israel. And in verses 19 to 20, we read, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about it, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now friends, as we read this, um, it is easy to miss three powerful implications of Joseph's words, am I in the place of God, in the way that Joseph sees himself. Now, firstly, as we mentioned before, the brothers did it out of selfish and worldly reasons. They wanted to uh, kill him because they were jealous of him. But God used that evil intention for the good to save his own people. Joseph acknowledged that it was God who placed him in the right place at the right time so that the evil that they planned would be turned into good and in the immediate context of that time in history save millions of people including his family. God turned the evil deeds of men and made it into good. The, separate, the second implication uh, lies in the fact that the brothers asked for forgiveness from Joseph using all kinds of of uh, uh, pretenses like uh, it was Jacob who has, has asked uh, Joseph to, to forgive the brothers and so on. And Joseph's answer was to ask them back, am I in the place of God? Sort of like, am I in the place of God to forgive you? For only God could forgive sins as ultimately all sins are sins against God himself. Joseph recognized that the ultimate pardon of sin would come through God's people as covenanted with Abraham by God. That through Abraham, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And to do this, he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world almost 2,000 years later to die for the sins of the world. And through his death, the sins of the world, uh, the sins of all those people who put their faith in Jesus will be paid for in full. And that is the only true forgiveness from the only living God who can deliver this. True, the only Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And now the third implication, Joseph said in verse 19, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Why did Joseph use the words, do not fear? Well, he used it as a reassurance that just as he recognized that God, uh, forgiveness belonged in the hands of God, so too judgment and, uh, and punishment ultimately belonged in the hands of God. As far as his brothers are concerned, Joseph would not condemn. As far as his brothers are concerned, Joseph would not punish. For all these lie in the hands of God himself. And the true judgment and punishment for a sinful world await those who remain unrepentant and unchanged by the grace of God. 
And this is a scene of hardened hearts and closed minds that reject the Holy Spirit of God and thus bring about condemnation upon themselves. Joseph's answers seem to say, it is not me you should worry about, it is God. And Paul picks this up in the New Testament to say, do not worry about those who would kill the human body, but rather worry about the one who would destroy the soul. And so to the last part of our passage, um, from verses 22 to 26, as Joseph prophesizes the return of Israel to Canaan. Now friends, within a very short uh, verse, in verse 22, 54 years flash by in the life of Joseph. He was now 110 years old. He would see the grandsons of his grandsons. And in fact, the whole family of Israel has grown and prospered. She has settled very well into the land of Egypt. But as he prepares for his own death, this was not the thing that occupied Joseph's mind. As he looked forward into the future, he sees that Egypt was not the land promised to him by God. And he repeating the prophecy that his father Jacob had spoken to him in Genesis 48 verse 27, Joseph once again reaffirmed the whole patriarchal family's faith in the covenant that God has made with Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Let me read verse 24 to you. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. The writer of the book of Hebrews has this to say of Joseph's faith and knowledge of the actual exodus to come in Hebrews 11 verse 22. Let me read just to you. By faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph met them, the sons of Israel, promised to bring his human remains from Egypt into Canaan, the land in which Joseph would want to be buried. The Egyptians, friends, would no doubt have built him a great pyramid somewhere in Goshen that would have remained a monument uh, to him until today. But no, Joseph wanted to return to the land that God has promised to the patriarchs and to him and to Israel. But beyond that, the Bible's description of Joseph's death seems a bit muted, doesn't it? Even a bit of an anticlimax. When we compare it to the ones that have been given to Jacob's death and funeral, it's strange, you know, wasn't Joseph the supremo of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh? Yet the Bible mentions it in just 19 words in the last sentence of Genesis. And let me read to you. And so Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You see, Joseph's God-given mission has been accomplished. In God's hands, Joseph has saved millions, including his family, the family of Israel. And just as it would not be Joseph's role to be the family patriarch of the tribe from which the kings of Israel would be descended and from which our Savior would be born, so it would not be his role to, to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt to return to their country, to their God-given home in Canaan. For it will remain for another great son of Israel, Moses, to lead the people of God out of Egypt 
true great acts of power that God would perform before Pharaoh of that time, some three and a half centuries from then. And Moses would then lead them in the great exodus from slavery and suffering and carry Joseph's bones back to the land that God himself has given to them. So friends, once again, um, we have concluded uh, the book of Genesis. Let me congratulate ourselves again. And uh, as we reach the end of Genesis, we can see how Joseph's words, Joseph's words, am I in the place of God, serve as a fitting conclusion of the entire book itself. For these books, uh, for these words teach us how to live as God's people in three ways. Firstly, we are reminded that no matter how hard we are tempted to act as God or in the place of God, it will be God's will that will finally prevail. In the recent past, in the last couple of years, and in the last couple of months particularly, we have seen the atrocities that people had inflicted on other people, most of whom had nothing whatsoever to do with the matter at hand, the matter in which they were protesting. The latest one being the killing of five police officers on Thursday night in Dallas, just because they were white policemen. And the shooter wanted the world to know that he hated white policemen, just because some white cops somewhere have killed some black dudes somewhere. Now friends, we are not in the place of God to judge and to punish, but we do that all the time. We may not be going around carrying pistols or high-power rifles shooting people in the back, but aren't we all behaving the same way at some level, some time, in some places? Judging, condemning, because other people do not conform to our standards of behavior or standards of speech or standards of grooming. And thus bringing disunity and unhappiness into our workplace or into our families and even into our church. Perhaps when we are tempted to do this, we should pause and ask ourselves in Joseph's words, am I in the place of God? Now secondly, Joseph recognized that while ultimately sin is against God, this did not prevent him, this did not stop him from doing his own part. He forgave his brothers their sins and in fact provided amply for them and for their families, thus ensuring that God's plan for his people would be fulfilled. Our friends, Joseph discerned that, that God has used the evil deeds of men and made them fit into his plan for the salvation of the world. Joseph was thus able to rise above rise above the pettiness of human uh, pride and anger and wrath and uh, feelings of vengeance and thus played a pivotal role in the survival of the family and thus preparing for the coming of the Savior some 1800 years later. Joseph was able to say in perfect humility, am I in the place of God? Now the third way to live as God's people lies not so much in Joseph's words but in the way they were enclosed between two bookends, one describing the death, the embalmment and return of Israel to Canaan, and the other one describing that of his own death, embalmment and return to Israel in the great exodus from Egypt that would take the whole of the next five books of the Bible to describe. 
It was the ultimate theological statement of faith from Joseph. The same faith of all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph commanded the sons of Israel to bring his bones home when the time came. The ultimate statement of faith. Because Joseph trusted in the covenanted promises of God. And no one else stand in that place. No one else stand in the place of God. This was the God who would give God's own people, God's own place, so that they will live forever with Him under God's own blessing. Our friends, we can't tell for sure from that side of the cross whether Joseph could have fully understood the implications of the promised land. Beyond the expectation that, well, life did not end for God's people at their physical and biological death. Nonetheless, he knew where he wanted his human remains to be buried in the land that God has promised to his forefathers. And just like his father Israel before him, death presented no dread, no fear for Joseph. Indeed, it presented a reunion of his remains with those of his forefathers in the cave at Machpelah in God's land. For us, though, friends, from this side of the cross, we know for certain that there is no fear, that there is no dread in death. We fully realize how to live and die as God's people. For God has sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And one day, He will return for us and He will gather all of us to live with Him forever and ever, including the patriarchs who have gone before us. And that is our faith, trusting in the only living God to bring us home to be with Him under His blessing in His own place. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for, the, uh, for guiding and uh, bringing us to the end of the book of uh, Genesis. And we pray for the same guidance and wisdom uh, to guide us through the, uh, the next 65 books, some of which we have already com completed. And we pray, Father, for, um, for you to teach us, lead us, uh, to reveal yourself to us and uh, to remind us uh, of the grace and love and the mercy that you have for us. We want to be thankful to you, Lord, that you are the faithful God who will keep to your covenant that you have made such a long time ago with Abraham, that through him and his family, the whole world will be blessed, which you have shown to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.